So uh, year seven here at TSAC had a camp at the beginning of term. Um, my daughter Isabel is in year seven, and this was the first school camp where Isabel was going to have to carry a rucksack and, uh, and camp out. Uh, we, we've always done a lot of camping as a family, normally with the car, but we uh, do a lot of bushwalking as well, so the kids are used to walking. And last year, for the first time, I took Isabel out on an overnight trek. We uh, walked up to a cave halfway up Mount Maroon, a uh, beautiful uh, location. It's north-facing, so you get uh, sunset and sunrise from the cave. Uh, we spent the night there, and then we walked back in the morning. And for that trip, I carried pretty much everything. So I had both our sleeping bags and our food and our water and warm clothes and, uh, and all that. And Isabel had a little day sack, so just carried a few uh, bits and pieces. So on that occasion, Isabel followed and she observed. I showed her how to pack a kit and how to cook on a little stove and administrate herself and all, all that good stuff. She followed, she listened, she observed. So uh, the year seven camp was looming, and I found out that Isabel was going to have to carry her kit to go camping. And um, I've done three or four year 10 survival camps with TSAC, and uh, I guess it would be the same anywhere, but I've seen how clueless some of the children are. Uh, they were literally strapping pillows to the outside of their rucksacks. Um, why they thought they were essential uh, survival items, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you do. Um, but they, they obviously got soaked, uh, the pillows, and got heavy and uh, dirty and absolutely useless. Uh, they carried uh, far too many clothes and, and all kinds of other things that they needed. Uh, one boy was laboring under the weight of his rucksack, and I, I uh, looked to see what he had, and he was carrying about six boxes of Pop-Tarts. Um, obviously, his mother thought that he couldn't survive without them. So year camp was looming, and I thought to myself, I've got to make sure that Isabel knows what she's doing. Uh, I wasn't going to be there to show her, so I wanted to know that she could do it. Uh, so I went through all the kit with her. I told her exactly what she needed to take, and she was going to have to pack it herself because the camping phase came halfway through the week. So they gave them rucksacks, and they had to transfer into their rucksack whatever it is they needed uh, to go out. Uh, now, some of you will think I'm a bit OCD, uh, but if you put up the slide, I laid it all out on the floor, <laughs> and I took a photo of it, and uh, I printed it, and I laminated it. And, uh, you know, there comes a point where our children need to do things for themselves, and with many things, the earlier the better. But the way I see it, we want to set them up for success. We want to make sure that they're fully prepared, because then they learn more, they get the, the best out of it. So I said to Isabel, stick to the plan. Uh, don't worry about what your friends are taking or not taking or how they pack it. Stick to the plan and you'll have everything you need to be comfortable, uh, but you won't be carrying so much that you'll be uh, weighed down. We can, we can uh, knock that off. And she did. She stuck to the plan. She did really well and thoroughly enjoyed it. So you remember the process. Isabel and I went uh, for that trek up to uh, the cave in Mount Maroon, and then Year 7 camp was looming, so uh, I talked Isabel through it again, made sure she understood what she was doing, and then she went off and she did it herself. So why am I telling you this? Well, Jesus saw a time when he wouldn't be with the disciples, uh, and, and the, the disciples would have to do the things that they'd seen Jesus doing. Uh, they would become the foundation of the church. 
the visible presence of Christ in the world. And Jesus knows that he needs to prepare them. He needs to set them up to succeed. Jesus knows what's coming. His death, his resurrection, his ascension, that is his uh, going up into heaven. Uh, The disciples didn't know what was coming. They couldn't imagine being without Jesus. Even when Jesus tried to explain it to them, they just didn't get it. Nevertheless, Jesus had to prepare them for what lies ahead, just as any parent would want to uh, prepare their children for the challenges that they're going to face. So Jesus calls together the 12. Uh, The 12, of course, represent the 12 tribes of Israel, the faithful remnant of Israel. Until now, the disciples have been portrayed primarily as observers. But that is all about to change. Jesus gives them power and authority. They need to learn to do what he was doing. Of course, uh, that authority and the responsibility that goes with it has been given to the church. We'll, we'll come to that. So what power and authority did Jesus give them? Well, the power and authority to drive out demons, to cure diseases, and to proclaim the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells them to take nothing with them on the journey except the clothes that they stood up in. Nothing. Now, this was us. We'd have all kinds of objections and reservations, wouldn't we? Uh, how am I to pay for a hotel room? Uh, don't we need to book ahead? Uh, where are we going to get three meals a day, plus morning and afternoon tea and, and Pop-Tarts? What happens if uh, the strap of my sandal breaks? Uh, what happens if I hurt myself? Shouldn't I at least have a box of plasters or some hand sanitizer? What if, what if, what if? The disciples have a job to do, but they must learn to do it in God's strength and with God's resources, not their own. And I think a lot of us still need to learn that lesson. So Jesus sends out the 12. Uh, Incidentally, the Greek word apostolos, from where we get the word apostles, uh, describes one who is sent out with a delegated task. The apostles, they've been sent out. And then in verse 4, Jesus tells them, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. And this is very practical advice. Uh, Don't say, oh, we've just had a better offer to stay in the house down the road, and they've got a bigger house, and uh, we'll have a a room to ourselves, so let's go off there. Uh, Because obviously that would sow discord in the community. So very practical advice. And then in verse 5, if people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Shaking the dust from their feet was like a formal act of separation, leaving the town to the judgment it deserves for rejecting the gospel. And the task is urgent. The disciples must give Israel the opportunity to repent and follow Jesus. Uh, They don't have time to linger where they're not welcome. So the disciples were sent out to do the work that Jesus had been doing, and that's what they did for a period of time, and then they returned, and then with Jesus, they went to a quieter area um, to withdraw for a while, but the crowds followed them, and they had the massive crowd form, and now we have the setting for the feeding of the 5,000. This is the uh, only miracle that all four gospel writers tell us about. Luke gives us a little bit less uh, detail. Um, and, and, and quite often, this miracle gets explained away. You may have heard it. 
Uh, one person shared their lunch, and that encouraged uh, everybody to produce the food that they had all along and share it amongst themselves. Uh, you may have heard that said. How pathetic. How pathetic, seriously. Uh, we don't have to explain miracles away. Uh, it shouldn't surprise us that a miracle is miraculous, uh, something that can only occur through the intervention of an all-powerful God. That is what a miracle is, isn't it? And there's a lot we could say about this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. It's a sign that the good news of the gospel went first to the Jews. You remember the 12 basketfuls of scraps that were left over. Those 12 basketfuls represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And then later on, uh, chronologically, there's uh, uh, the feeding of the 4,000. It's not the same event. The uh, crowd of 4,000 people was predominantly Gentile. And the number of baskets um, of scraps left over was seven, the biblical number of perfection. So you have the feeding of the 5,000, which is the, the gospel going out first to the Jews, and then you have the feeding of the 4,000, then the gospel going out to the non-Jews, the Gentiles. Um, this miracle shows that Jesus cares about our practical needs as well as our spiritual needs. It demonstrates the superabundance of God, that God is generous. He gives us more than we need. It ties in with the fact that Jesus is the bread of life. And it relates to various passages from the Old Testament. Uh, think about the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, being fed with manna or bread from heaven. Or the messianic banquet that the prophet Isaiah talks about in uh, Isaiah 25 and 65. These are all legitimate points that we could make about this miracle. But what I want to focus on today is this. Jesus demonstrates God's provision in a very dramatic way at a time when the disciples are just beginning to learn about God's provision. I mean, they've been sent out with nothing, hadn't they? Uh, they all made it back. Nobody starved. God provided. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying, you think it's amazing that God provided you for, for you when you were traveling from town to town. You haven't seen anything yet. But again, uh, we see a shift from Jesus doing things to delegating his work to the disciples. Listen to verses 12 and 13 again. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. You do it. When Jesus sent them out uh, to the towns and villages, God provided. So that will they now trust in God's ability and willingness to provide? When they went out in pairs, they only had two mouths to feed. And now there's this massive crowd. It says 5,000 men. They didn't count the women and the children. So this crowd could easily have been in excess of 15,000 people. This is a big step up. But the principle remains the same. God provides. So will the disciples trust God for this miracle? No. No. They missed the point completely, as they so often did, and they only see what's possible in human terms. But don't we do the same? For example, have you ever had a situation where money was tight and you couldn't even see how you were going to cover the basics, food and rent and that sort of thing, and you prayed about it 
and God provided. But let's say further down the line, you face a very similar situation and you start to worry, you become anxious, you're fretting about it because you forget what God did the last time. Or you doubt that it was God who did it. Or you doubt that God will do it again. We've all been there. Maybe not that exact situation, um, but, but something similar where God has, has, has come through for us. But then the next time we're in the same situation, we're still worried. And you might say, yeah, but there's a big difference between finding free food and accommodation for you and a mate and feeding 15,000 people. And that's true. But just think of the miracles that the disciples had witnessed. Surely that should be quite faith building. You know, our faith is weak. And when it comes to the amazing things that God has done for us, we have incredibly short memories. Uh, That was true for the disciples, and it's true for us. Although they didn't yet know it, the disciples were were on the cusp of being given the awesome responsibility of representing Christ in the world and proclaiming the good news of Jesus to all nations. They would face all kinds of trials and hardships along the way. It would require a huge amount of change and disruption to their lives. They had to know that God would provide. The feeding of the 5,000 is significant for all kinds of reasons, but there's no doubt that it gave the disciples an unforgettable demonstration of God's provision. So how does all this relate to us? Well, Jesus prepared the disciples to take on the work that he had been doing, rather like handing on the baton in a relay race. And the work and mission that Jesus gave the disciples is the work and mission of the church today. When Jesus first sent out the disciples, they were to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. The church is still doing those things in a very literal sense, but also in a more general sense. The church is to fight against evil, to bring healing to a broken world, and to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Jesus wasn't just preparing the disciples. He was preparing the church. He was preparing us. I want to read you some verses. This is Jesus speaking to us. I want, I want you to hear this. This is as Jesus speaking to you personally. John 20, verse 21. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Matthew 10, verse 16. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. The work of the church, this church, is to prepare and mobilize people for mission because that's what Jesus did. Collectively, we're being sent out to take the good news of Jesus to a broken and hurting world, and everyone has a part to play in that. As I said the other week, there are no bystanders in the kingdom of God. There are no bystanders in the kingdom of God. Of course, there are seasons of life when we can't do so much in a practical sense, uh, but we're always involved. Uh, 
Prayer, for example, that is something that every single one of us can do, no matter what's going on in our lives. Are we on our knees praying for this church, praying for the impact that our mission will have, uh, not just in our own lives, but in the community and in the lives of the people around us, the people that we know? Could be anything. Stacking chairs visiting the sick and the lonely, catching up with someone who's struggling, basically just being a good friend to them. Children's ministry, music, hospitality, feeding the homeless, going into the prison. All of these things contribute to us being a healthy, well-prepared, missional church. Now, if you're new to the church, of course, we don't expect you to jump into these things straight away, you're a guest. And we certainly don't want anyone to give so much time and energy that it becomes a burden. This should, serving Jesus should be a joyful thing. Uh, but if you see St. Andrew's as your church home, and you have done for some time, ask yourself this question. What is my role in the mission of this church? Of course, our, our mission, our mission statement as a church is love Jesus love the church, love the world. Some of you will know straight away what your role is. Um, But if you're struggling to think of anything, there are two things you can do. Firstly, seek the Lord, pray about it. How do you want me to serve you, Lord, is a pretty good place to start. And secondly, let us know. We can talk and pray about it together, explore the possibilities. Uh, Often God speaks through conversations that we have with others. At our annual general meeting next week, we'll be talking about some key roles that uh, we need to fill for the uh, for the health uh, and stability of the church. Um, you might hear about one of those roles and think, yeah, I could do that. Uh, we'll pre- be presenting Vision 2025. Uh, it'll be in booklet form. And as you read through it, and I hope that every member of the church will read through this, this document, because there are missional objectives for the coming year and for the next five years in there. And as you read them, you might think, do you know what? I know how I can help make that happen. I'm not, I don't think I can do much about this or that over there, but this thing here, I can see how I can move that forwards. Jesus prepared and equipped the disciples to do the work that he was doing. And we must prepare and equip the church for the same work, just in a different context. Like Jesus, we engage in the work of fighting against evil, bringing healing to a sick world, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And we train others, we prepare others to engage in that work. So if you're performing a role, whatever it is, think about who could work alongside you, who could learn from you, who could take on that role um, when perhaps you're not able to do it anymore. We, we need to be looking to how we can, can train others and prepare others to continue this work. We need to be very intentional about preparing this church, preparing one another, and preparing our children to engage in this mission. And it's a mission that is clearly rooted, the mission of this church, clearly rooted uh, in uh, the teaching of Jesus. Love Jesus, love the church, love the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you called the disciples. Uh, Their their lives were literally turned upside down, and they were flying by the seat of their pants, uh, but in the most wonderful, fulfilling, 
way. And we thank you that you call us on this amazing adventure of partnering with you to take the good news of your son Jesus to this world. And we pray, Father, that we will be excited about getting involved, excited in our part in this, excited to think how you could use us to be a force for good. And we pray, Lord, that you continue to uh, fill us with your spirit and guide us as we uh, seek to serve you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.